Before I jump into the message this morning, I want to talk a little bit about Christmas Eve. Uh, this is a challenging moment for us, I think, as a church, and every church everywhere is expecting this and, and having to work through the same sorts of challenges. You know, the statistics indicate right now that about 25% of every church in America uh, thinks that we should not be gathering at all. Uh, about 25% of every church in America thinks that we should just rip these masks off and give each other a hug. And, uh, and then all the rest of us are kind of standing in the middle going, I don't know who's right. I don't know when we'll know who's right, and I'm pretty sure we'll never agree on who's right. And so take that and apply that to Christmas Eve for a second. Here's the deal. We want you there on Christmas Eve. It is honestly, don't tell anybody, uh, probably my favorite service of the year. Even a little bit better than Easter, and I don't know why that is. I just think the festivity of it, I love to see you guys there. You're dressed in your best. You know, you got your kids and the little girls in the dresses and the little boys in the sport coat that they're only going to wear once and the bow ties and the, you know, and the taking the pictures and the families by the trees and all of that stuff. Like, I love that night. I look forward to it all year. It's like the highlight, and it's just a little different this time. We want you there, but we need you to register in advance, Okay. And please recognize that we're not going to be able to accommodate everybody. I hope that you see that. We'd have to start at like 10 o'clock in the morning and then roll services all the way through the day and into the evening in order to be able to accomplish that. And part of the question that we're dealing with is we don't even know how many folks are going to come. And we also don't know how many folks that are not connected to our church really any other day of the year other than maybe Christmas Eve and possibly Easter are going to come either, which is part of the challenge. So like we're looking at that and going, all right, we know because every year it happens that there are going to be people who are not watching online right now, who are not hearing this or who are not here that have no idea that they have to pre-register and they're not going to pre-register, but they're going to show up with their little girls in the dresses and their little boys in the bow ties and their family and they're going to want to take a picture by the tree and we don't know how many of those folks are going to come, which means that if you register to come on Christmas Eve, and I'd love for you to, uh, you know, it might be somewhat empty because we've overguessed how many of those folks are coming, or it might be overly full, and maybe that'll make you feel a little uncomfortable. We're not going to be able to turn people away at the door on Christmas Eve. We are going to, as vigilantly as we can, maintain all of the protocols as we've done week after week after week on Sundays. Um, but, you know, we're going to see what happens. So I say all of those things to let you know that in advance and to encourage you to register. But then in addition to that, uh, we are going to pre-record that exact same service. We're actually doing that a week from tomorrow, and we're going to produce that for you. It's probably going to be about 45 minutes long, all in, the whole service. Uh, And we're doing that so that we can give you as excellent of an experience online as we can. And you can watch that at 4 and at 6 on Christmas Eve, which is when our live services are. So you can do that in solidarity with everybody who pre-registers and is here. Or you can just watch it on demand, like whenever it works for you. Like for years, we've had people go, we need to do like a midnight service. And I'm like, man, if I'm up at midnight, you know, like, well, I won't finish the sentence, all right? It's just more than you want to know, okay? And I'm not excited about it. This is your chance. We have candles for you. Just come by the church. Take as many as you think you'll need for the group of people, if you're planning to gather at home, that you feel safe gathering together with. We have a discussion guide that's going to go together with the service online that we're making available. So if you want to kind of work through some of this stuff with whoever you have at your house or um, with your kids, uh, you can do that. So we're trying to equip everybody at the same time. And I don't say all of this to elicit your pity. I say all of this to elicit your understanding and patience. Okay? So that's what we're looking to do. And I think that the Lord will do great things. I expect that he will. He's up to something in all of this, guys. He really is. 
And I think what we need to do is embrace these opportunities to look for what he's doing. And by the way, that service that we're going to produce and put out there, you can send to anybody. So it's a great opportunity to say, hey, you know, here, watch this. I don't know where you stand on all this stuff, but watch this. Great, great opportunity to do that. All right, so with all that said, as we continue the Advent season this morning, uh, I want to begin by saying exactly what I said at the beginning of the message last week. Don't check out. Just listen up because it's worth repeating. I'm going to talk about, as unexciting as this sounds, the difference between Advent and Christmas. And again, don't check out, but listen. Why? Because what is Christmas? Christmas is kind of a big deal. Christmas is that moment in time that, that settles for forever the reality that through faith in Jesus, we belong to a God who does what? Who breaks through into real space, into real time, into this real world, and into our real lives. He has settled that forever by coming to us in the person of Jesus Christ, God incarnate. What does that mean? Almighty God, who through his supernatural conception, takes upon himself our flesh and blood who steps into our real world in real space and in real time that he might really come after every single one of us. He's not a distant God. He's not a gone God. He's not a detached God. He's a God who has experienced our humanity in every way as we have except without sin. It's a remarkable God. Okay, so that's Christmas. God breaks through real space, real time, real world, real lives, including ours, What is Advent? It's the run-up to Christmas. It's the four-week season of of preparation in which we, before the Lord and by his word and with each other and by his spirit, get in touch, like really in touch, with the longings, all the ways that we are longing for God to break through into our lives right now. Which means, as I said last week, that the question of Advent is, okay, what kind of a longing, or what kind of a breakthrough, rather, are you longing for right now? Because God, through Christmas, is saying whatever the answer is, ultimately the answer is Jesus. Your heart is made only to be satisfied by him, and nothing else works. And so then what's the follow-up question? Well, the follow-up question that I think is, well, how do I know if I'm actually looking to Jesus as the answer to my longings? And there are a number of different ways to attack this, but here's the one that I want to look at today. I think you find that answer, at least this is one of the ways, by how it is that you respond when God does, in fact, break through into your life, whether that's with a promotion, which, let's just be honest, is a welcome breakthrough, isn't it? It's like, dear Jesus, I am feeling in touch with you right now. Thank you. This is awesome. This is amazing. But sometimes it's a pandemic. Less amazing, or so it seems anyway. But maybe more productive. Whether it's welcome or unwelcome, the reality is that the breakthroughs of God almost always require us to take the things that this world comes to us with and says, okay, satisfy your longings with this. All right, well, if that doesn't work, then this. And if that doesn't work, then this. And if that doesn't work, then this. And if that doesn't work, then just turn up the volume on this. And nothing works. When you've lived long enough, you realize it. When you climb the peak and you get there, you go, there's nothing here. Or there's a taller peak. The breakthroughs of God almost always require us to take the things of this world that that the world claims is going to satisfy the deepest longings of our hearts and to do what with them? To sacrifice them in favor of whatever it is that God wants to do in and through us. And you say, all right, well, can you give me a little clue on that? Because maybe that would help me. 
You know, I'd feel better about laying it down if I knew what the point was. And generally speaking, yeah, I can. So what is God doing? What is his goal in the breakthrough? God's goal in his breakthroughs is that the all-satisfying, don't miss that, Jesus, by faith, by the Spirit, be conceived in us. By faith, by the Spirit, be formed and developed within us. And then by faith and by the Spirit, be birthed in some sense through us out into the world. It was for Jesus to be born in your family. It's for Jesus to be born in your workplace. It's for Jesus to be born in your relationships, in your neighborhoods. It's for Jesus to come forth into the world through you. But births are not easy. Births require sacrifice. And that's the moment of truth, isn't it? It's like we're all cool with breakthrough until all of a sudden now I've got to sacrifice something. Now all of a sudden something isn't easy. Now all of a sudden there's a cost to it. And what we do in those moments when we confront the cost, when we face the sacrifice, reveals definitively who or what it is that is on the throne of our hearts. Is it the God who sits on the throne of heaven or is it actually something else? And we know because it's that something else that we cherish. It's that something else that we shelter. It's that something else that we protect. Why? Because it's that something else actually that we're looking to to satisfy the desires of our hearts. And it's that something else that will leave us empty in the end. So, with all of that in mind, We pick up our study today in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. And Luke says this, he says, in the sixth month, and what he means by that is in the sixth month of the pregnancy of Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, whose birth we looked at last week. Okay, in the sixth month of that pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God, meaning from God's throne, the God who sits on the throne is sending a messenger, that's what the word angel means, with a word from him. He's sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a 13 or 14-year-old virgin betrothed to a 15 or 16-year-old man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And here's the deal. Like right out of the gate, there's pretty much nothing in that that we can relate to. Can we agree on that? Like not too many times have you been visited by an angel, right? But here I think is what we can relate to. I think we can relate to a person who at least thinks she has her life all figured out, you know, in broad strokes. I think that's true of us too. I mean, we understand. We don't have all the details. We understand that things are probably going to change. I mean, some of us are like super meticulous about all of the details and any change drives us crazy. You know, like I get that. I, 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 I see that person regularly in the mirror. Like I understand, you know, and it's unsettling. And, I, you know, it's like, no, 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 I've got this plan. Like some of us are a little too much, you know, and some of us are a little... You know, but I mean, generally, we, we got a plan. We, we understand. We have expectations about how life is going to go for us. And we're figuring that's the way it's going to go. So, so did she. Mary's plan was something like this. I'm going to marry Joseph. We're going to have as many kids as we can because that was the goal back then. So at least a handful. He's going to have a successful career as a general contractor because he's a hard worker. He's a man of great integrity. Listen, Joseph, guys, from all that we know in Scripture, was one amazing man. We're going to buy or, you know, maybe build a villa on the Mediterranean. And, and then we're going to finish out our days enjoying frequent visits from our grandkids. Like, we can relate to that. I mean, maybe, you know, for you it's not the Mediterranean. And if it is, Beth and I are going to visit you frequently too. So you're welcome. You have that to look forward to. But we think we know how it's going to play out. We have expectations and they're precious to us. 
All right, what's wrong with Mary's plan? Nothing. Unless it's her God. Then there's a problem. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with her plan. Unless the parts and pieces of her plan are the things that she's looking to to satisfy the longings of her soul. If, in fact, that's the case, then she'll be unwilling to sacrifice them when the moment of truth comes, and it's coming. And Christ then will not be conceived in her, and he will not be formed and developed in her, and he will not be given birth to you and the rest of the world through her. You get the idea? You can see how it works. So God sends the angel Gabriel, and then Luke says in verse 28, it says that Gabriel came to Mary, and here's what he says. He says, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is where? The Lord is with you. And then Luke says, but she, Mary, was greatly troubled, however, not at the appearance of the angel, which is unusual in the Bible, and I just think seems unusual to me in general. It's like whenever an angel shows up in the Bible, which is not like every day, but it happens... People are terrified by what they see. I'm pretty sure that if an angel showed up, I would be so terrified, I don't know that I'd understand a thing he's saying. Like, We'd have to sit down after he woke me up with some smelling salts or something, and I'd say, all right, so repeat your message, because that was it. You showed up, and I went over. Mary is troubled greatly by what he is saying. And so she tried to discern what sort of a greeting this might be. In other words, exactly what does it mean to be a favored one whom the Lord is with? How's that going to affect my plans? What's that going to require of me? You're here for a reason. Uh Uh-oh. Is that a threat? Is it welcome? It's certainly a breakthrough. So she's greatly troubled, and, and what you see is that Gabriel, the angel, is, is troubled that she's troubled. I love that. So the angel said to her, whoa, whoa, whoa hang on a second. You know, like, Do not be afraid, Mary. I mean, maybe you missed it. Do you want to get something to write this down with? Because like, this is significant. You ready? Like, For you have found favor with God. What strikes me more than anything else about this story is the difference in the perspective of Gabriel, who again comes from the throne room of God with the perspective of heaven and the perspective of Mary, who like the rest of us knows only the perspective of earth, specifically over what it means to be favored by God and to enjoy his presence. And based upon the massively disruptive effect that all of this has on her life, You know, I mean, I think it's safe to say that uh, the favor of God and and the enjoyment of his presence, what that brings on a practical level is, is different when you look at it from the perspective of heaven than it is when you look at it from the perspective of earth. You know, sometimes it's a promotion. Oh, we're happy about that. Sometimes it's a pandemic. Sometimes it's an obedient step of faith that we're excited to take. You know, sometimes it's like, I don't want to do this at all. (laughs) Mary is troubled. We get troubled. Gabriel is troubled that we're troubled. Why? Because he comes with a different perspective. And I think it's good news that he comes with a different perspective. I really do. I think it's good news that there is a heavenly perspective. I think it is amazingly good news that that perspective is better than ours. And I say that because there are people here and out there whom God is leading down a path of of cancer or sickness. There are people here and out there whom God is leading through some very troubled marriage situations here and out there for whom parenting right now is just taking you to the end of yourself and maybe beyond. 
There are people here and out there who are, who are having financial difficulties. And the reality is that when you're in the midst of these things, guys, it doesn't feel like favor. It's, it's not like what you would imagine the presence of God would be in your life. And yet Gabriel is like, guys, I'm troubled that you're troubled because if you have faith in Jesus, this on the cross right here settles the matter. You are the favored of the Lord. And by the power of the Spirit, Emmanuel, who has entered into the world at Christmas, God with us, lives within you. And you say, well, you know, then where do I get the perspective of heaven? Because <laughs> Gabriel has not appeared to me, Tom. And if he has, you know, just don't tell anybody, all right? We just... He's not. So where do I get that perspective? From God's word. It really, I'm honest, honestly, guys, it is that simple. God has supernaturally given you his word, including this story and story after story after story after story, which screams out his love for you, his faithfulness to you, and his greater perspective for you in all things. Promotions, pandemics, that which is welcome, and man, bring more of that. And that which is, from our perspective, unwelcome and yet from his, really, really good, really, really purposeful. So Mary is troubled. Gabriel is troubled that she's troubled. And again, he says in verse 30, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And here's what that means. It means sacrificing whatever needs to be sacrificed, your reputation, the possibility of this marriage with Joseph, the children that you've imagined, the villa, the whole shooting match, put it all on the table so that Jesus can be conceived in you and formed in you and then given birth to the world through you. For as Gabriel then says, he says, and behold, hey, Mary, you will conceive in your womb and having developed that child, you will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And then Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? She's not doubting that it will be. She's just going, hey, we're betrothed, but we're not together in marriage yet. So mechanically, how does this work? And he answers the question. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore, the child to be born to you will be called Holy, the Son of God. What is he saying? He's saying, Mary, you're right. You can't conceive this child on your own. You can't form and develop this child by yourself. You can't give birth to the Son of God. No, no, no. But what you cannot do, the Holy Spirit of God can do. But that doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. Again, births aren't easy, and cancer isn't easy, and sickness isn't easy, and marriage isn't easy, and parenting isn't easy, and financial troubles are not easy. Like, none of these things are easy. But each of these things are breakthroughs with a goal. And I don't have the power to embrace them on my own, and neither do you. Sorry. I mean, you know, you might be super determined and very strong-willed, but still, it's not going to happen. It's hard to embrace these things as an opportunity for Christ to be conceived, for Christ to be formed and further developed, for Christ to be given birth out of even the most difficult of circumstances. We don't have that power, but what the Bible is saying is, listen, what you can't do, what I can't do, 
The Holy Spirit of God, whom he gives as a gift to live within you, can, in fact, do. And more than that, he will do. And the call is to surrender to him, you know? I mean, and Mary's the example. She's sitting around picking out China patterns. She's flipping through Bride magazine, you know, if that existed in that day. She's dreaming about her amazing plans. And I mean, let's be honest, they're amazing. They contain all of these fundamental elements of life that at least when we start out and we're her age, we expect are going to play out for us. They don't always, do they? But it's our expectation, it's our plan too. And then all of a sudden, plans are interrupted by an angelic visitor. And he says, look, put the plans on the altar, okay? Just put them on the altar, because you're going to have a baby and he's going to be the son of God. Which brings us to the great climactic question of, all right, well then what is Mary going to do? And it's not climactic at all because we already know the answer to that. Everybody knows the answer to that. The question of the story isn't what is Mary going to do? The question of the story is what am I going to do? The question of the story is what are you going to do? Like when God breaks through, then what are we going to do when it requires us to sacrifice? Because again, that's the moment when which we discover who or what is the God sitting on the throne of our hearts. Is it that God who is on the throne of heaven or is it something or someone else that in fact this reveals something we protect, something we shelter, something we put aside and say, no, 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 that's not on the table. You got an altar, that's fine. And I got a few things I'm comfortable putting on it, but this isn't one of them. Something else that we're looking to to satisfy ourselves apart from the all-satisfying Jesus, whom it is God's design through your breakthrough to conceive in you, to develop in you, and to give birth through you to something, to someone, to your little world. Oh God, break through in my life, but don't change my plans. Oh, God, deliver me, but don't touch my money. Heal me, but leave this sin alone. Use me, but only in ways that fit into my already overly busy schedule. Dear Lord, you know, make me fully dependent on you, but don't touch my health. God's like, I have a greater design in these things, and the payoff is greater than what you're trying to protect. What will we do when God breaks through into our lives and it requires sacrifice? That's the moment of truth. That's, that's it. Are we going to respond by, by protecting and, and sheltering and guarding? Or are we, are we, by the power of the Spirit with a tremulous hand, <laughs> going to say, oh, okay, <laughs> we'll put that on the altar and try not to take it back day by day. And ask the Lord by the power of his spirit to give us the ability to embrace this as an opportunity for Jesus to be given life to in and through us. That's what Mary does, and you know that, but let me read it to you because it's beautiful. Verse 38, it says that Mary said to the angel, but who is she really talking to? She's talking to God. She's talking to the God who sits on the throne of heaven and on the throne of her heart, and you know it, because here it is. She says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. What do servants do? They surrender to the will of their master. Let it be to me according to your word. My goodness. How beautiful is that? 
And the angel of the Lord said, right on, departed, and went back to the throne room. So I close with this. How is God breaking through into your life right now? You got that one, right? Maybe it's more than one way. It could be several. Here's the real question. How are you responding to it? Because the call of this story is to surrender to what he wants to do. All satisfying Jesus conceived and formed in you and then ultimately revealed to your little world, given birth to, okay, through you. All right, let's pray together. Father, we praise you for this dear woman, oh my goodness, Mary, 13 or 14 years old, so much to learn from her humility and her faith. But we thank you far more so for the Savior who was conceived, for the Savior who was formed, for the Savior who was given birth to in this world, and who then offered his life that he might have us. Lord, give us faith. Remove the blinders from our eyes. Reveal all of the things, the little gods, the failing gods, the not satisfying gods that we've worshipped and maybe are worshipping right now. Just reveal all of those things to us, not to crush us, but to free us. Lord, give us the power of your spirit that we might take those things and put them on an altar, that we might be filled with your spirit and Christ be conceived and formed in us through the promotions and through the pandemic. Do a work of conceiving and forming and giving birth to Jesus. Do this, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.